Welcome to the Destiny Church Tees Valley podcast. As you listen, it is our prayer that you were transformed through faith, hope, and love. We have been in a series called Where Are You Headed? And this is week five on Where Are You Headed? And hopefully these messages have been really helpful for you to take home or reflect on in your life. What is the direction in your life? What are the decisions that you're making leading you towards? Because every decision is leading us in a direction and that direction is leading us towards a destiny. And we all have a daily decision and choices to make about the direction that we choose and therefore the destination that we are going to arrive in. So if direction determines destination, what influences our direction? If we could determine that, then we could change the entire course of our life and destination. So, so far we have covered in this series the principle of the paths that we take, the importance of asking good questions, what's the wise thing to do, what story do I want to tell, am I being really honest with myself, is there attention that I need to pay attention to, about the good decisions that we can have. But right now, for the next few moments, I want to ask us, what determines our direction? While you have a think about that, I'm going to tell you about my shopping trip this week. So this week I went to Tesco, you know, the big Tesco Extra. There is plenty of other shops available, I may just say. And I went there because I needed milk and eggs. Has anybody else gone to a shop because all you need is milk and eggs and then come out with two bags of other things. So I went to the shop for milk and for eggs and then I got distracted and I saw my favorite four-letter word in the whole world, sale. And so I walked over to the clothing aisles and I was having a look at the clothes that was there. And I thought, oh wow, isn't this so amazing? A coat that I was looking for, just perfect in my size, was half price. Guys, can I get your attention please? What's going on? So, I'll tell you about my story, right? So I find this coat, it's blue, it's beautiful, and I bought it. And then I got home and thought, Faith, you got distracted by the, the word sale rather than... <laughs> rather, I'm even struggling to keep focus. Rather than, <laughs> rather than the milk and eggs. And if you want to tell the truth, I forgot about the eggs. I got home with the milk, I got home with my coat, and I forgot all about the eggs. Here is what determines our direction. Just as we have beautifully demonstrated with the elephant and the tiger, what gets our attention. The minute these two walked in, the minute I saw the four words sale, my eyes switched, your heads were turned, it grabs your attention, and Benaya's attention is captivated right now. He is like, who knew this is what happens in adulthood downstairs? Can we say thank you to our amazing distractions? Now, some of you might have still been able to pay attention to my story and tell me what color my coat was that I bought. Others of you were going, what, you bought a coat? (laughs) Don't worry, even I was struggling to tell my story. What determines our direction, church, is what we give attention to. Where Where are our eyes going? What are we looking at? So where we're looking 
is where we are headed and where we are going. And parents understand this in the room. Parents understand that if there is a friendship group around children, that they are going to look at the way that they behave and act. And so they are trying to select good examples around them, not kids that are fighting back and arguing or swearing, but actually kids who have been respectful and polite and hardworking because they understand that what they're looking at is where they're headed. And they understand as a parent that they can see the bigger path and picture of what's going on. And that's just what like our Heavenly Father is like. He's going, pay attention to what you're looking at, what is grabbing your attention, because what is influencing you here is going to influence your decisions, influence your direction, and influence your destination. There is a difference between something grabbing our attention, like our beautiful friends in the costumes, and there is something different about us paying attention. Grabbing is emotional, it's a quick little moment. It's the, oh, I've just noticed that. It's like the squirrel moment. You just have a look. But paying attention is where you fixed. It's a focus and it's an active um, intention that you have made. Now, I did a little bit of research on attention span this week, and I've got to say, it was a little bit disappointing. So basically, a researcher said that in 2000, our attention span averagely as humans was 12 seconds long. But now 15 years later, it has shrunk to 8.25 seconds. Now here's a fact for us. Goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds. So our average attention span, yes, some of you might be incredible and you're better than a goldfish, but averagely in this room, we have a worse attention span than a goldfish. What? We are so easily distracted. An average worker in the office will check their emails 30 times an hour. An average person will pick up their phone more than 1,500 times per week. Per day, sorry. Not per week, yeah. Which accounts to three hours and 16 minutes a day. That's a lot of time. The attention span of a squirrel is just one second, according to researchers. But if a squirrel has its eyes set on an acorn, its attention span goes from just one second to four minutes long. If you look at that growth... I wonder for you and I, what could be our acorn in our life that helps us from going to distractions, distractions, our attention span is so hard to be wired and pay attention to something for more than 8.25 seconds to finding our acorn that helps us to have longevity in our attention span. Now, there are some things we can do practically to help us move from passive attention to being focused in our attention. We can stop blaming our phone and realize that we have the power to turn notifications off and technology. And our brain is wired for new information. So if we've got to try and reduce distractions like our phone and emails, maybe on a practical note, you say, I'm going to check it, my emails three intentional times in that workday. Honestly, I've tried it. If you do that, you will find you're more productive and less distracted by an email that comes in. Stop multitasking. I think women, we're the worst for this because we self-deceive, and just like last week, we're not honest with ourselves that we can't multitask because what happens is our attention is not just split, but actually you're, you're choosing one to be active with and one to be passive with. Have you ever noticed at a dinner table, and maybe this is for the youth, but... Adults can be the same. You can see in a restaurant, 
the amount of families that are present but not really present because the mobile phones come out. Why? Because they think they can multitask and respond to that text message when really you just zone on in to one of those priorities. Or what about working in front of the TV? And then you get distracted by the good thing that's on TV. I did that this week. I thought, oh, I can create this PowerPoint while watching Planet Earth. I ended up watching Planet Earth and went, I've not even done slide one. You know, we, we can pretend to ourselves that we can multitask. We either produce bad work or it is slow. Some good things that can help us with our attention is starting meditation. For us as Christians, meditation is not eliminating things out of our mind, but pouring good things in our mind and focusing on scripture. And that is going to help your mind train to focus. And um, the research says that starting to exercise, going out in nature, even just Googling a photo of nature can help your attention span. How incredible is that? And I don't think that's by mistake that our creator has made this planet for us that will help us to be sustained and energized in life. So wherever we go, church, whatever, sorry, wherever our attention is, is where we are going. So my question for us is where is our attention this morning? Maybe some of you who drive a car understand that, that you could be driving in one lane, but you look to another lane, you realize you start drifting off. Where you're looking is where you are going. Right now, there is something that's grabbed your attention, and right now, there is something you're choosing to pay attention towards. What are they? Think about it, ponder on it, and let's live intentional lives. God reminds us in scripture that the things we pay attention to or capture our attention, it drives our life. In Deuteronomy 7, 12, he says, if you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you, as he promised with an oath of your ancestors. That's beautiful. Be faithful to me and I'm faithful to you. It's just a beautiful little covenant. And so God gives this um, law to Moses um, and to the chosen people of Israel. And God knows that they're going to get distracted and tempted by looking at what the other nations have, the politics of what the other nations have, the relationships, the economy, the, the desires that they have. And he knows they're going to get distracted. So he's saying, hey, just keep fixing your eyes on me, on my commands, on my laws. Be faithful to me and I will be faithful to you. And what does Israel choose? They choose to follow God and then get distracted, and then repent and turn of their ways, and follow God for a little bit longer, and then get distracted, and then they follow that way, and then they repent and turn of their ways. That's what repent means, turning of their ways, and then following God, and then get distracted, and then they repent and turn of their ways. Who else feels like that loop has been an echo in their life? That you are following God, then you get distracted by something, and then you repent, and then you turn of your ways, and this repeat um, goes on. In Psalm 119, maybe um, you can read it at home. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, so I'm not going to read it now. But there is so many great truths in there. And let me just pick out two. Um, 35, it says, direct me in the path of your commands where I find delight. Or 37, turn my eyes. In other words, turn my attention away from worthless things. So this is what David's prayer is. He understands the importance of the attention of what we're fixing our focus on. Because if we get distracted, we are going a different direction and go 
towards a different destination. And not only does his life determine that, but then his child, Solomon, sees his father's example and goes in Proverbs 4, 25 to 27, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze. Fixing your gaze, you've got to be intentional to fix your gaze. That doesn't just happen by default. It's a choice, it's a decision. Directly before you, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. How beautiful is it that we can see from generation to generation that they're saying, I'm fixing my gaze, I'm paying attention to you, God. I'm focusing on you. And that's the importance of the way of not only does it affect David's direction and path, but if he got distracted from God and didn't repent and didn't pay attention and then follow him continually, what would Solomon's story be? What would his example to follow? It's something for us to realize, whether you have children in the natural or not, that there are people in this community that are watching you and that are looking to your example to go, will you show me how to pay attention to God? Will we pay attention, fix our eyes? Jesus says in Matthew 6, the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good and also if they're wholesome, if they're pure, your whole body will be full of light. So if we fix our eyes on good things, our whole body is pure and good and wholesome. It will impact your whole life. But if we fix our eyes on things that are bad, deceitful, lies that are going to distract us, if they're impure thoughts, they're bad things, then our whole life is going to be captivated by that. Our eyes are important. Hebrews 2.1, we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. My prayer is that we don't drift away. And if you feel like you have been distracted, here's the good news. Repent, turn of your ways and come and pay attention and say sorry for whatever has grabbed your attention from Jesus and say, I'm coming back and I'm paying attention to you, God. And I want you to be the direction that my life is following. I want my eyes to help me to focus on the decisions that I've got to make. See, as Christians, we are free. We are made new but we don't use our freedom to harm ourselves or anybody else. Here's what we're supposed to do with our freedom. Serve one another humbly. That's what we do with the freedom, which I'll come back to in just one moment. But if you haven't written them down, write down these two questions. Ask them in your connect group. Ask them to yourself this week. Talk to them with your spouse and your children. Question one, what or who has captured your attention? It might be TV, eating out, sports, cars, shopping. It might be your career, pay, position, studies. It might be a relationship. It might be kids. It might be spouse. What or who has captured your attention? And question two, what do you need to be, begin giving or paying more attention to? This might be something that you decide um, is prayer or scripture, ministry, mission. What do you need to start paying and be alert towards? Well, here's one thing that we all need to pay attention to this morning. This is one thing that God asks us to pay attention to. We see it in John 13. It is the golden rule, the golden thing. We've, in the Old Testament, there is 113 commandments that are given in the Old Testament law. And then here, Jesus brings a new commandment and summarizes them all in this one thing. And he says, this is what you need to pay attention to. A new command I gave you, he says in 34, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is the standard of love. 
right? This is the standard that we are aiming for, that we're paying attention to, that we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. When we think of Jesus' love, majority of us in this room will think of the cross. We will think of the sacrifice of where he just goes, as I have loved you, so you must love one another in verse 34. We think of him laying his life down for you and I, for our sins. But in this moment, in John 13, Jesus hasn't died yet. When he's talking to his disciples and when he's asking them, will you love me, uh, love each other, sorry, the way that I have loved you, they're thinking of the last three years that they've journeyed together, of the times and the conversations and the walk and the time that he's given, of the miracles, of the wonders. That's the expectancy that is given, that you are going to walk and do life together. Yeah, it's not a one-hit wonder. But what is beautiful within this conversation that he's having with them, he's going, ah, but if you think that's awesome and that's a high standard, you haven't seen anything yet because wait till tomorrow when I lay my life down, not just for my friends, but in advance, days, weeks, if not before, eternity, um, before heaven and earth was even formed, God himself decided that he was going to lay his life down for his enemies. There was a decision there that God decided he would sacrificially bring himself as the lamb to be slaughtered for those that hate him. That is the standard of love. Imagine planning your sacrifice for your enemies. So when he's saying, by this, people will know you're my disciples, this, in our English, is a demonstrative pronoun. It's an action. It's not just something that we can go and talk about. We've got to do this together. And what Jesus is saying is when people say, who are my disciples? He's gonna say, look at these people. How do I know how to love? Look at these people. This is what it is. And so the question for me that I wanna end with and the um, worship team can come and join us, is what does love require of me? If you're a Christian here this morning, you can really change that to say, what does God require of me? Because we know in in the um, letter of John, which I'll end in a minute, it says that God is love. But even if you're not a believer this morning, if you ask your question, what does love require of me? It causes you to come to a higher standard, a higher standard of living, a higher standard in our decision-making, it, it gets rid of those crazy questions of, well, you know, it's not really that bad. The Bible doesn't say that's a sin. When we ask of ourselves, what does love require of me in this situation? Last Sunday, it was quite uh, funny. A few of us went up to Newcastle and um, there was a bit of a long walk that we had to go on. And a few of us, myself included, were in high heels and we didn't realize the journey that was gonna be that long. And there was one particular lovely, beautiful person, shall I name names, Ife, um, was in these beautiful heels and was struggling and was complaining (laughs) and was walking slower and slower and slower because her feet were in agony and pain and I could empathize with that burden and with that cry. But then suddenly the complaining stopped and the pace got quicker with the walking. And then we noticed that her husband, Osas, had taken off his trainers, given them to his wife. He was walking the streets of Newcastle, barefoot, basically, in socks, so that she could have the comfort. You could say this morning, well, the Bible doesn't ask husbands to do that. What does love require of me? Do you want to see a video of it? 
Okay, is it up there? Can you see the movement? There's, <laughs> there's a question on our hearts. Oh my God. But it's going to be sacrificial. <laughs> it might be entertaining and funny. Oh. <laughs> it's Newcastle. There could have been glass on the floor, guys. It's beautiful, beautiful. Only a year married. <laughs> As a few of them kept saying, oh, we'll see what it's like after a year. No, you set the standard. You were calling up. It's beautiful. 1 Corinthians 13 says, without love, everything else is useless. As a church, we don't want to prioritize being spiritual in our speaking of tongues and prophesying and yet be missing love. In this room, the way that we love one another has to be the evidence that we are Jesus' disciples. So where are we headed as a church? We are headed towards Jesus forming us to be a community that is called out, that loves one another, that can be a light to this world. That is where we're headed and we need our eyes. We need to look at where we're looking individually, collectively, the vision that we're set to say, will our eyes be captivated by him? Because if not, if we're distracted, we'll overreact with one another. When something um, goes on, we, we, we don't want gossip to be part of our culture here. We don't want it to be a trade-off. We want to extravagantly love, sacrificially serve one another and love one another. So maybe this week, that's the question you've got to carry into your home, in your marriage, with your children, in your workplace, in your connect group. Ask, what does love require of me? This question raises us up to be like Jesus. So 1 John 4 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And, we, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. So God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete in us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. What does God require of me? What does love require of me today, this week in my life? Will we ask that question? It would be revolutional.
It would change the direction of your life, of your family, of your children, the community, this church, Teesside. If we all ask that question, what does love require of me? Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you pursue us with a love that is relentless, with a grace that is all-consuming. And we pray that the love and the example of your life, of what love looks like, that we will strive towards. We will pay attention to your example. We will have our eyes set on your presence, on your word. We'll be meditating on your word, God. Help us to pay attention, to keep our eyes from wandering and being distracted. Help us to look at good things so our whole life will be fruitful, God. We pray that the communities around us will look at us and go, we know they're Jesus followers because of the way that they love one another, the way they pray for one another, the way they serve one another, the way they spend time with one another, the way they care for one another God we pray that we will be a demonstrative collection of your grace of your love and of your truth God so come and have your way amongst us we pray amen thanks for listening today if this message spoke to you and you would like prayer or perhaps this is your first time listening then we'd love to connect with you at www.thedestinychurch.co.uk forward slash connect You're welcome to join us every Sunday in person or online at 11am.